0: Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask, where everyone has something they can teach you. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we are going to explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. As a CPA for the past 30 years, wait, let me say 25 because that makes me sound younger, I have seen it all when it comes to money and emotions. And if you think I'm talking about my clients, I'm not. I'm talking about myself. My relationship with money has been, and sometimes still is, An emotional roller coaster. Maybe that's something you're also familiar with. Good news. You and I are not the only ones. Our next guest is going to share their money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges as well. Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Our next guest is Roberta Hughes. She is the founder and lead instructor of Peaceful Living, a boutique hybrid studio where one can achieve a healthy body and mind, feel heard and nurtured, and have a positive relationship with stress through customized practices in Pilates, meditation, and yoga. Roberta's philosophy is that with the proper training and body awareness, all people can achieve their health and wellness goals, live without pain, reduce the impact of stress and obtain the highest quality of life. It is her belief that a combination of Pilates, yoga, and meditation are the pillars to that solution. Roberta, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Bob. I'm excited to be here. Well, I didn't know if you would be in a yoga
0: pose or like a (laughs) Pilates machine. Like It's it's a big part of your life.
1: Both of those are, but it's a little difficult to conduct an interview if I'm trying to practice (laughs) yoga and Pilates and be connected to you at the same time. So part of peaceful living is being mindful and attentive for what's in front of you. And this is what I'm here for, this interview with you and this time with you. Awesome. Well, I love that you're out there in a way, changing
0: the world, right? One deep breath at a time through helping people to become more aware. You encourage people to check-ins throughout the day and to really just In a way, these practices help us to be more mindful.
1: Mindfulness, yes. Bringing mindfulness to all of the pieces of your day, not just taking yourself out of your day to become mindful, but bringing that into everything that you do from the time that you get up till the time you go to bed.
0: And did you always want to do this? You have a degree in journalism. And so how do you get from journalism to yoga and mindfulness?
1: Yes, I took my first yoga class in college and loved how I felt after the class. I changed my major three times from business to English literature, then finally to journalism. That's where I found my strength and the excitement. I had actually always wanted to be a weather girl. I know they don't call them that anymore. They're meteorologists. (laughs) But that was my inspiration. And then I married someone who was an officer in the Air Force, and we started moving around. So journalism wasn't something available for someone that was moving every three years. And I had become a mom right after I graduated college. I worked for a year and became a mom at that time. So life just kind of took me on this journey. And yoga was the one thing that I could always do, no matter where we lived. I could even just teach one hour a week. There was nothing that I had to commit to. I could just do it when I wanted and when it fit into my life.
0: That's awesome. That was just sort of organically just turned into something more. Yes. And it was something that you would love doing.
1: Yes. I continued to study it and then I went through training and then I started to teach really as an outlet of something to do as a part-time job being a mom of someone that was in the military and gone a lot. I needed something that was flexible and that fit the bill. And it fulfilled me when I taught, even though I was giving to other people, I would feel better and more grounded when I returned home.
0: That's awesome. Now I'm thinking finances and I know a lot of yoga and Pilates (laughs) people and some are my clients. Yes. There's a lot of expensive equipment in Pilates. Mm -hmm. Yoga doesn't always pay a great deal. So it can be a struggle financially, at least what I've seen, if you're just doing it for the money.
1: Yes. Doing it for the money is probably not the reason (laughs) to choose this industry. This industry, I think for me, started off as a great support or supplemental income. It was really my hobby money. I definitely invested more than I got in return at some points. I got very lucky in my Pilates training because I was working for a big fitness center and I had only had yoga instruction in my wheelhouse and they needed me to also have the Pilates. So they put me through my level one training, ah. which then it didn't cost as much as it does now. So then I was able to add in each year till I got my comprehensive certification. A standard Pilates reformer is baseline $5,000 and right now you can't even get one. It takes about six months to get one. Wow! So it's an expensive industry, but it also, what I like to point out to instructors and fitness people like myself is making sure that as you create your business, that you are investing in the value of what you bring to the table and investing in the value of what you can bring to others. When we go to a chiropractor, we don't blink an eye about paying $50 for 15 minutes with that chiropractor. If you're a Pilates or yoga instructor spending 55 minutes in front of a person, you should have the value of your time and your training and your expertise. That's not to say you could go out, get a weekend training and charge a lot of money. But if you've invested your time in your education, the value of that is important to advocate for.
0: Yeah. And do you find that a lot of yoga people, instructors, facilitators, all that do gravitate towards, well, let me undercharge, or maybe there's not enough value. Or as somebody from the outside might say, Well, you know, you're just stretching, right? What are the mindsets that you see coming in? And I love that you're trying to cultivate that with people to know your value. Yeah. And know the value of what you bring.
1: It took me a long time to get there, probably for the first 10 years as an instructor, because it was a hobby. Because I was a mom, I just felt like I don't really need to earn a lot doing this. So I just showed up to teach whatever the studio would pay me was great. Thank you so much. You know, (laughs) now that I'm doing this professionally to build a business for myself, my mindset has shifted. And one person said to me early on, money is an exchange of energy. And that really helped me flip my focus because prior to that, I felt like I am just a teacher. I am just showing up to do this one thing. And that doesn't give me very much power or value. I've invested a lot in educating myself. The benefit of paying good money for instruction is how well a person might know your body and know your needs. If you go to a group fitness class where an instructor is maybe beginning their career and they're getting paid $30 to teach 30 people, their knowledge base is good enough for that setting. But to really work with a person who is preparing for knee surgery or who has had a back injury or who has experienced trauma in their life. These specialized areas come with experience. It comes with learning and you should have the value of your time equal to the value of the investment the person is making in you. Yeah, absolutely. And what about
0: though, so now I'm the person, I'm so stressed out everybody's told me to do yoga and Pilates. And I come to you and I say, well, if I have to pay money for yoga and Pilates, I'm really going to stress out because it's going to cost me a lot of money. And I got to go get a mat and I got to get some yoga clothes and I got to invest some time. It's a lot of time of sitting and being quiet. Like that's crazy.
1: That sounds like a big no. Like (laughs) who's going to say (laughs) yes to that, right? So let's kind of unpack this. The Mm -hmm. first thing Yoga classes are available for all different prices. In fact, the business that I have today really turned into what it is now during COVID. And I showed up three times a week as a volunteer and taught yoga classes in that platform. Most of my audience was in their 60s, 70s and had never done yoga before. And I think because they were in the comfort of their own home, they were on the floor with their dogs Nobody was looking at them. They didn't have to go anywhere. They showed up and they started doing it. And from there, then the value started to show up. My knees don't hurt anymore. And once you have that value, once you have that experience, you're able to invest more. And everything in life is an investment of time and money. Those are our two most precious resources, right? Time mm-hmm. and money. Yeah. And we have to choose how we invest in those. And- what we want to pay for if you want to feel better in your body and you want a more specialized approach you need to invest the time and the money and the discipline to make that happen
0: it's so hard maybe it's just la everybody's so busy and you know okay great i do yoga but now i have to do shavasana <laughs> right and then that's another 15 minutes of of resting when i've already been quiet and like, that's another 15 minutes to my hour. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that I read that Gandhi would say that he would meditate and take two hours when he had busy meetings instead of an hour. Like, the more intense a meeting was, the longer he took to prepare for him. People were like, what are you doing? And But he was saying, like, no, I need to really be centered and grounded and connected. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't sure. talk to me specifically. <laughs> but, you know, What do you say to that? Because I know there's so many people are like, it's so busy. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, that we just keep creating chaos and stress.
1: It is. And we have to interrupt it on purpose. And that's why I created my platform in the manner that it is. I have Zen breaks that are anywhere from two minutes to five minutes long. Most of my yoga classes are about 30 minutes long. And you can do them from the comfort of your home the meditations you can put on to your laptop at your work setting, or if you're in LA, maybe it's between shoots or something <laughs> <laughs> that you're popping into your cell phone and getting a little bit of nourishment that way. I created this philosophy haphazardly throughout my life as a mom, because if you're a parent of young children... That is the epitome of a busy life. You are on the go all of the time. So LA kind of operates like a busy parent, right? Yeah. (laughs) All of the time. You don't get to sleep. And I just started popping these little time slots, five minutes here, 10 minutes there. If I got 20 minutes, I was so excited (laughs) to do a little bit of movement, a little bit of breathing, things to reset my focus and nourish my energy because you need that energy to keep going.
0: How do you tell someone or how do you help someone to just start today? I'm going to take three breaks or today. I'm just going to check in before lunch. How do we shift that mindset? Right? Because there does have to be a hiccup, an interruption to change the pattern. Even if we want it, we still have to get out of the unconscious rotation that keeps just going through our head.
1: Yeah. We get in a routine and it's like we're on the hamster wheel. How do we disrupt that pattern? Yeah. And what I say to people, take a look at your calendar. Hopefully most people are using one in some way. Where can you plug in five minute pieces at least three times this week? If it's at the same time every day, great. But like me, many people don't have a regular nine to five schedule anymore. Right. My Monday and my Wednesday and my Friday all look different. So it's not like every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at this time, I'm doing this. But I look at the whole week on a Sunday, and I call it keeping white space in my calendar. So if you don't have any white space in your calendar, that's the place to begin. Where can you create some five-minute pockets of white space in your calendar? And then over time, could you stretch that to 20 minutes or 30 minutes? And it's not only going to be for mindfulness practices. You're not just going to be doing yoga, Pilates, meditation, but maybe you're going to go outside to eat your lunch. Maybe you're going to go and make a cup of tea. Maybe you're going to sit outside and drink a glass of water. These are little things that also help. You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to stop work and go to my yoga time or because that too is really regimented. I like to create flow in a person's life and figure out how this is going to fit their lifestyle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so that intention to do it is probably the first start. That first step is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to block the time. Maybe I miss a couple, but at least now I've calendared it and it's it's going to happen.
1: Yes. And you're probably going to fail. And when you fail, just know, okay, this week I got it in once. Great. Let's try again next week. I'm at least going to get it in once. Like I don't want to take it out completely. But maybe I was too ambitious in saying three times. Maybe it's two times that I'm striving for now. And just like investing, right? If you try to start off investing $100 a day, it's not going to happen. Right. Who has that money, right? Not many people do. Who has 60 minutes a day to invest in self-care? Everyone would probably say, I'm too busy. I don't have that time. But everyone has five minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, it's changing that mindset. The awareness is that first step. I'm intending to do it different. I'm aware that I'm haven't been doing it. I'm going to start to create these pockets, these hiccups, and uh, do something
1: different. Yeah, and then from awareness, your purpose—like, why am I choosing this for me right now? Knowing that purpose really helps. Yeah, and
0: when you look back, you were going to potentially do journalism. You moved into the yoga, the Pilates, it all sort of organically happened. When you look back, when do you think you first had awareness about it? Like you were doing the yoga just because it felt good, right? Mm-hmm. Was that pretty early on that you said, you know what, this, I see the purpose of this?
1: Yeah, immediate. It was a one credit course in my scope of business classes my freshman year. And I realized that business in high school and business in college were very different. Yeah. (laughs) And I did not have the stamina and the brain capacity to be in all of these business courses all at the same time. So I would go into my one little yoga class and it was just like, oh, thank goodness. Like I can be me. (laughs) Safe space. Yeah, yeah. So it was instant.
0: That's awesome. So I'm going to jump back a little bit. As a kid growing up, what kind of support did you have from your parents what did they teach you around money what was your environment like
1: so growing up my father was in the army he's a 30-year army veteran and my mother is an immigrant from serbia so both of them my dad's african-american born and raised in kentucky came from very small means my mother as well Came from very small means. So they definitely taught me a work ethic that you get a job, you work, you earn your money. And they never really talked about money, but I knew that we always had everything that we needed and sometimes the things that we wanted. My dad did a lot of garage sale shopping. I remember going to swap meets with him to sell things. And I don't know if that was out of need or out of just being smart with how he chose to buy things. But for birthdays, back to school and Christmas, that was when we got clothing and all of kind of the things that we wanted, where the exciting things would come in. And then my mom really taught me the value of taking care of the things that we had. So everything that I had, even now as an adult, people will say, your clothes looks brand new, even though you know, you've know you had them for three years, four years. Some of my athletic wear I've had for 10 years, because I learned how to take care of the things that I have.
0: We could all learn from that. (laughs) Or at least I could. Well, let me ask you this. Your dad's military, I know from a prior conversation that you were supposed to be Robert.
1: Yes. (laughs) How
0: did, if you're aware of, how did gender play a role in what you were taught around money or what you were taught in general mindset? If any, it may not have played a role, but For a lot of people, and you have two boys, do you teach them or talk to them differently than you might have if you had had girls?
1: So the one thing my dad instilled in my sister and I was we can do anything we wanted to do. We just had to figure out how. It was never really a money conversation, Mm -hmm. but I saw my dad role modeling that. In addition to being in the service, he always had a hobby. He built his own golf clubs and sold those. And then he started building computers. And he was this entrepreneur at heart and always doing these little things that fed his creativity and maybe brought in some money. But I think he would reinvest that money in his hobby rather than having it drain the family bank account. My mother worked in service jobs. Her very first job was at Dunkin' Donuts. And I remember (laughs) I was in third grade and they sat us down at the dinner table because she had been a stay-at-home mom up until that point. And they let us know, your mom's going to start working. And so you're going to be on your own for this much time before school. And then when you get home from school, she's going to be there. And she woke up every morning to iron her uniforms and my dad's uniforms. So for me, it was more a conversation of humanity, taking care of yourself, showing up with pride in your work, mm-hmm. regardless of what that work was. So I grew up with an appreciation for all, all jobs are important. Anything a human being can do as work is important. So I see value in all of the jobs out there. And I never look at The CEO of a company differently than I would look at someone that's greeting me when I walk in through the door.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm taking away so much as I'm seeing your mom getting up and ironing, and the focus and the dedication and the commitment is sort of what comes to mind of doing that with kids and all that goes on and having that focus.
1: Yeah. And so when we go back to your question about gender, I never felt like I was treated as a gender. You would probably back then say my dad treated us more like boys than girls. <laughs> you know, we had to get up and pull weeds. We had to rake rocks. We built brick walls with my dad. We went out and chopped firewood with him because he liked to get the mesquite firewood for his grilling. Yeah. <laughs> I hated it. Like I would have preferred to have been more... <laughs> more gender-appreciated when I was growing up. (laughs) I would have liked some more princess moments, if you will. But (laughs) I value that now because I'm privileged enough to be able to pay people to do the things that I don't like to do. But if I need to do them and am in a place in my life where I can't afford to pay someone to do them, I have the skills, I have the ability, and I know the value of that work.
0: Yeah. As an adult... Do you find that you still have any money mindset challenges that come up? You said you've started to really appreciate and value what you bring. Is there anything still that you come across and go, ah, there's that again that you're still working through?
1: It's exactly that piece. Am I worth the value of what I'm asking? That's the first question. Now I know the answer to that is yes, but now am I confident enough to ask for that value? And that's a current practice for me right now. Another thing that I used to believe that I don't believe anymore is that you do have to work for somebody else to earn good money. And even sometimes now as an entrepreneur on the days when it's not going well, the bank account's not rising at the rate that I would like, I should just fold my cards and go to work for somebody else and get a paycheck. So I still bounce back and forth between those. Like it would be so easy to just get a job. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And what's the story about why it's going to be easier working for somebody else?
1: Maybe because that's what was role modeled, you know, my dad being in the military and then he worked civil service. He showed up, he did his job, he got his paycheck and we were taken care of. Same with my mom, her paycheck mostly supported the extra things my sister and I wanted to do. And now though, she continued that work ethic and started to save and Her relationship with money, she talks a lot more about now that I'm an adult than when I was younger. And she, too, was learning. So she always says, I wish I had learned all of this sooner so I could have taught you guys. But we learn when we're ready. And I feel like I'm at the perfect time to be learning what I'm learning now.
0: Well, it's so interesting that you say that. I'm thinking about my parents and My dad worked for somebody else. He didn't make a lot of money. There were five kids. And after putting in years and years and years, this company had a habit of a year before you hit full retirement to get all the benefits, they would fire you. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to be beholden to anybody else ever. And even though I wanted to get the training and work in accounting firms, when I actually interviewed with my first CPA firm, they said we have a feeling that you're not going to be very much a rule follower. We have a feeling you might create some problems. We really like you, but we think you might be a troublemaker. And I was like, I'm probably going to be a troublemaker. And they were like, we really just need people to comply. And I'm like, I'm probably not going to do that. (laughs) And so I think in my mind, I always knew that I probably wasn't going to be an ideal employee (laughs)
1: You are going to be the nine to five, show up, do your job, say thank you and go home. Yeah,
0: not going to happen. And I think for me, just that working for myself always meant that there was the possibility that I could make more, even when it wasn't true. I thought, but one day. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because the company has it all together. And as long as you show up and fulfill the need, you get your paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. But then that kind of sounds a little uninviting. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I guess it really depends on where you work. Some places it's a very warm, welcoming, anything you have to bring to the table is welcome. And other places are, please just keep looking at the paperwork or the computer. And we don't really want your opinion.
1: Well, and through the work that I'm doing, the more conversations I'm having I am actually going to start doing more with leadership development and leadership training Mm -hmm. because leaders really do have a desire to bring more empathy to their companies, to bring more community, to let people feel seen and heard and not to just show up and follow the rules. So. If you were to go to a company now, hopefully that conversation would be different. And I think younger people coming into corporations are requiring us to have different conversations about what it means to show up for work and to be productive and to participate in that corporate setting. So I anticipate we'll see some exciting changes in companies in the future, pretty in the near future, too.
0: I hope so. I actually think it's changing. And I like that you talk about authentic leadership on your website and stuff, because we do need more of that. We don't need leaders that never make mistakes or pretend that they never make mistakes, that can't take in feedback, that do it my way or the highway kind of thing. And I know that that, at least for people that were taught that that's leadership, it can be a scary thing to shift to something different where it's unknown and where we're welcoming what we don't know is out there. I was in a program called Radical Aliveness, based out of Core Energetics, and a lot of the teachers came from an expertise place. And so when we were encouraged to challenge the teachers and say, wait a minute, that's a—it was very triggering, I think, for a lot of them to have students, like, who are you? You're the student. Right. And I have (laughs) questions. So I love that you're going in that direction. I do hope to see more of that, because even though it can be scary— It's much more energizing when you're engaged in a two-way relationship, even when it's work.
1: Absolutely. Everyone has a voice that needs to be heard.
0: Yeah. What is your purpose in doing all this, bringing it out here, stepping into leadership and saying, hey, this is a tool? What is your purpose?
1: My purpose is just helping people find that place within themselves where they're at peace. And when you find and can tap into that, It manifests in all of the things that you're doing in life. It will change your relationship to money. It will change your relationship to stress. It will change your relationships within your home. If we can have more of that happening and then people showing up to do the work that they were meant to do, I mean, what kind of a world would we have? It would be amazing, right?
0: It'd be amazing. We're working towards it. We're working towards it.
1: And I believe it's possible. So that's why I'm here. That's my purpose.
0: And it is possible, so it's going to happen.
1: I want to pioneer that revolution. (laughs)
0: All right, let's do it. Well, Roberta, we're at the Fast Five, which is brought to you by Cube Money, a cash envelope system made fast, real-time financial awareness without the hassle of tracking expenses and carrying cash. For more information, click on the show notes. So, Roberta, fast and furious, here we go. Have you ever regifted a gift? And what was it?
1: I can't remember if I have or not, but I'm sure I've done plenty of white elephant parties in my past that most of those then became my next white elephant <laughs> gift. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what scares you about money?
1: Um, that I don't quite yet know enough and I want to learn more.
0: Curiosity is always good. How do you know if you've succeeded? What is success?
1: Success is to be able to be the architect of your own time.
0: Mm. Nice. Would you rather have a job you hate with a really high salary or have a job you love with a below average salary?
1: Oh, I struggle. This was one of my <laughs> things, right? <laughs> I'm definitely happier and more at peace struggling at the lower rate than to just show up and do something that I wasn't meant to do. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. This one's a toughie. Is there any one yoga pose that you particularly don't like? <laughs>
1: Oh, I hate arm balances. I love inversions, so <laughs> I'm not the strongest person, so those are really hard for me. All right. Anything where I can be grounded and connected to the earth, I'm in love with.
0: <laughs> That's great. Thank you for being honest on that. Yeah. We are at our m M&M and moment, our sweet spot, money and motivation. I'm wondering if you have a practical tip or a piece of wealth wisdom that you could share with our listeners.
1: Show up and advocate for your value.
0: Mm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Roberta, I so appreciate you coming on and I so appreciate this conversation about mindfulness and awareness. What I'm aware of as we've had this conversation is just an openness and a willingness to let life take you where it takes you. In other words, the yoga was just a class that ended up becoming so much more and hearing about your parents, like, I just, I really can have a lot of respect for your mom, for that tenacity to just like, this is what we're going to do. And that they sat you down and said, here's what's going to happen. So there was a real consciousness in the way they were talking to their children about what was going to happen. So that wasn't just blindly like, where's mom today? Right. So I really hear that there was a lot of structure and intentionality even if they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And that even though you didn't get a lot of princess moments, hopefully you're getting some (laughs) princess moments now, you know, that you still walk away with, you know, I got value in that, the teaching and the time with my dad. And so what I'm hearing is, even though it wasn't named as gratitude. Yes. And an appreciation for what you had instead of, well, it could have been this and I could have, should have, would have but more of, yeah, this was my journey and it unfolded as it unfolded and this didn't work. So I pivoted over here and that willingness to just take it in versus blaming or like, why is this happening to me? Or why does my husband have to move all the time? Or like, there's all these stories that you could have gone into. And I just really continue here, this consciousness, intentionality, And knowing the purpose, knowing why you're doing what you do. And I really hope that more people will check out your website, check in with themselves and start to have some of those five minute Zen moments so that we can all start to have less stress and more peace in our lives because that's going to manifest in others and multiply. And so it's contagious if we can all learn to be a little bit more grounded.
1: Yeah, and it'll change your relationship to money as well. And that was really a flipping point for me. Once I started thinking about treating my money the way I treat my body and my health,
0: Mm,
1: that was transformative.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Where can people find you online and social media?
1: I'm on Instagram at Roberta underscore Peaceful. Full has two L's, living. And then my website is peacefulliving.com. And you can participate in a variety of ways. What I love to do is when people book a discovery call, that's where we sit down and have a conversation and I figure out what tools will fit and how to help you fit them into your life.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. Well, we'll put all that information up. Roberta, it's been such a joy having you on today. I so appreciate you taking the time and I hope you have a zen, blissful, peaceful weekend. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. And if you don't mind, I would love to offer 30% off to your listeners for any of the services on Peaceful Living. And we can do money30 as the code.
0: Awesome. We will take money30 as the code. So yeah, beautiful. We will put that out there. Thank you so much. That's very generous. And thank you again.
1: Thank you for having me. I was so happy to be here.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us.
1: Blah, blah,